I'm Megan Murphy. The pill has long been heralded as a win for women, a path towards freedom, a women's right, a pivotal aspect of the sexual revolution. But is hormonal birth control really all that? The Business of Birth Control, a new documentary from the creators of The Business of Being Born, takes a critical look at the connection between hormonal birth control and women's health and liberation. I spoke with filmmaker Abby Epstein and Holly Griggs-Paul, author of Sweetening the Pill, or How We Got Hooked on Hormonal Birth Control, and a producer of The Business of Birth Control, about why they made the film, what they learned, and why women should be more wary of getting on the pill. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you both. It's been a while since we've connected. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even want to guess at how long, but it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, we're here to talk about birth control. I mean, Holly, you wrote a book about the pill, um, quite a few years ago. I don't remember how many years ago now. Um, but you, you know, you had the experience of, you know, writing critically about, about the pill, about hormonal birth control. Um, and I, I wonder if you can talk a bit first about how the pill works. I mean, the unfortunate thing that I learned, in part in from, from your book and talking to you, but also talking to, to some other women who have been critical of hormonal birth control, is that a lot of women don't know how the pill works. I wonder if you can explain that. Yeah, I guess the best way into that question is to look at a few of the myths or the things that we, the lies that we've been taught to believe over time. Um, and so one of them is the idea that the pill um, regulates your cycle um, or manages your cycle. And what it that suggests that there's some sort of interplay going on that's a bit more sophisticated than it really is, which is that the pill replaces uh, your menstrual cycle so uh, the menstrual cycle that you have has fluctuations of hormones up and down throughout the month or so um, and certain hormones trigger events so ovulation being the main one and then menstruation and the pill uh, suppresses that and overlays it and so your experience goes from being kind of an up and down flow that's pretty predictable to uh, flat what many people call like a flat lining experience so you're just having the same amount of synthetic hormone overlaying um, and it reduces the amount of hormones that your own body produces then the other myth that i think is a good way in is the idea that the pill um, creates a state similar to pregnancy and that's not actually true it kind of creates a state similar to menopause um, because pregnancy is kind of a high fluctuating hormone state 
uh, menopause is a low uh, non-fluctuating hormone state uh, for women so the pill is actually creating something similar to that where your hormone levels are very low um, to non-existent of course we still continue to produce some hormones but we don't have a cycle we don't ovulate and we don't menstruate obviously after menopause so it's not like pregnancy it's more like that state and so I think those two um, two lessons that we seem to hear over and over again throughout our lives are actually false now that's an easy way of looking at it mm -hmm. and i'm curious to know um what the impacts are of interrupting your your menstrual cycle in this way i think again women don't really they don't understand how the pill works they don't understand a lot of the impacts and side effects but I think, you know, I remember being a young woman and thinking, I'd love to just stop my period. I don't want my period. I don't enjoy it. It's annoying. I don't need it. Um, I may as well just take the pill all the way through and get rid of it entirely. Um, what are the impacts of, of interrupting your menstrual cycle in this way? Well, the, there's two sides to that. One is what you could ask is, what are the side effects of hormonal birth control? And the other is like, what are the benefits of having a menstrual cycle? So the, the benefits of having a menstrual cycle is the idea that there is like a good amount of evidence um, now within the context of women's health research being chronically underfunded. Um, there is a good amount of evidence to show that having regular ovulatory cycles so unmedicated cycles where you're experiencing ovulation um, are good for short-term and long-term health for women including like ameliorating a lot of like the big causes of death in later life um, and uh, like breast health heart health um, and also bone health so also um, protecting against um, bone loss and osteoporosis and things that affect women when they're older too. So there's a big amount of evidence to show that that's a benefit and then that you have short-term benefits too because you're experiencing uh, ovulation, which gives a bit, create, is the creation of hormones which can help with your mood, um, which is one that most people will connect with, um, and just overall um, strength and physical kind of wellness. Um, and then on the other side, you're looking at the side effects. So what is the side effects of using the pill? Well, you're you're using something that has a whole body effect. So it isn't sort of very uh, craftily going in and just figuring out how to stop you getting pregnant. It does affect the whole body. So, you know, there's everything from gut health um, to brain development to you know your your mood to blood clot risk there's uh, everything is interconnected uh so when you're taking synthetic hormones especially for a long period of time that can have over time um significant impact on your health and i would say most women will ex experience side effects if if we just see them as effects um some women will be more aware that they're experiencing them than others um some won't only will only be aware once they go off but yeah in terms of like uh the peri period being like a nuisance and and uh, uh something to get rid of this you know this is still pretty pervasive um and it actually all draws back to one guy who is making a lot of money off um, a couple of forms of hormonal birth control who put forward this idea that the menstruation was obsolete 
Um, but the idea is the benefits of the cycle is that you're ovulating and that therefore menstruating. So menstruating is kind of secondary that you have a period is uh, is a result of the fact that you're ovulating. The health benefits come from experiencing ovulation, produce your body producing its own hormones. I do want to get into, you know, a bit more in terms of specifics of side effects and so on and so forth. Um, but I want to talk a little bit to Abby. Um, how, how and why did you first become interested in this topic? Was there something that happened that led you to, to delve in? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that Ricky Lake, my producing partner, and I, we had made a documentary in 2008 called The Business of Being Born, um, which was a real disruptor <laughs> of the maternity care system here. And many people would argue over the last 15 years that documentary is like single-handedly shifted birth culture in the United States. So, you know, we were sort of known for doing that work and being in that wheelhouse. Um, and Holly actually sent us the galley of her book of Sweetening the Pill. Um, she had been working on getting it made into a documentary and just, you know, like for obvious reasons, thought, you know, you might be the filmmakers that might get this. So it's interesting because, you know, Megan, I wasn't really like aware and I, I wasn't actually like drawn to this as a topic until I read Holly's book and I actually read it on an airplane from New York to LA, um, going to see my producing partner, Ricky, about another film we were making. And I literally like landed in her kitchen and was like, um, I think this is like our next movie. I mean, it's almost like the prequel to The Business of Being Born. Um, and I think that like so many women you know, my eyes were not opened until some of these connections were made for me through Holly's book. Like, I had vague awarenesses of my own birth control journey and my very unpleasant experience of being prescribed the birth control pill, being given drugs to like bring on a menstrual cycle or a fake menstrual cycle, I didn't know at the time, and then put on the pill for pretty medically unnecessary reasons, you know, struggling with side effects, some of which I, I knew to like ascribe to the pill, but a lot of which I didn't. Um, and staying on that drug for a decade and not realizing, you know, most of the side effects until I came off. So for me, it was almost like, uh, you know, I read the book. I was like, wow, this book is like ahead of its time, but she's really onto something. And it's really dangerous to talk about because nobody wants to hear it, especially feminists. Um, so, you know, let's make a movie about it. <laughs> let's blow this open. Um, and that was it. And the the film is called the business of birth control um can you talk about that title you know talk about the why you wanted to focus on that that business word in in the sure. name of the movie 
Yeah, I mean, I think when we're using the word business, it's sort of like, you know, we're, we're kind of imbuing two meanings in it as it's saying like, yes, the literal business checks and dollar signs, but also just like the business of it, which is also a follow up to our, our first movie, The Business of Being Born, which was super popular. So we wanted to like have a title that sort of reflected this was going to be in the same vein as taking a very hard investigative look at this widely accepted practice of you know prescribing hormonal birth control to millions and millions of girls and young women so you know and i and i think that as with many you know things that are related to drugs and health and medicine and patriarchy you know there's this kind of stew that when you sift everything down and you look what's in like the bottom of the glass it's the money it's the profits um and certainly you know at least in the united states um the pharmaceutical marketing is super intense around these products and so is i would say the indoctrination of most medical practitioners um, by the pharmaceutical companies in terms of the safety of the drugs, um, the efficacy, you know, there's so little informed consent around any of these products. And, you know, I think the reason that there isn't is because millions and billions of dollars are being made. And, you know, if there weren't a lot of money at stake, you know, I, I think we could probably see a pretty, pretty different landscape. So that's really the idea. But I mean, the documentary, of course, does look at the practices of some of these pharmaceutical companies and how they function um, and how they advertise and how they handle things like, you know, lawsuits and damages. But it also does really look at just the whole concept of body literacy. And, you know, some of the things that you and Holly were talking about, you know, about how does the menstrual cycle work and what are the benefits and what does the pill actually do and, you know, exposing kind of the myriad side effects. Um, that's all really wrapped up in the movie, as well as the history of uh, the pill and hormonal birth control and the very specific history as it relates to women of color, um, which most people aren't really aware of, you know, that there's an inherent racism that's really rooted in the history of these products, whether it was experimenting on women of color using, you know, the drugs, using them as guinea pigs, or, you know, having coercive practices and rules in society, which, you know, put certain communities of color, um, you know, pressured them to essentially have less babies and, you know, beyond beyond these long acting um, hormonal birth control options. So, you know, the film, it's really, it, it really looks at a whole sweeping landscape. It really, it covers a lot of ground. One of the things that made me most angry about the pill when I started to, you know, realize that there were a lot of side effects and that it really wasn't very good for women um was that 
doctors do push it on young women. Um, you know, I was pressured to go on the pill. I've heard lots of stories from other young women who were pressured to go on the pill, even when I didn't want to go on the pill, you know, when I had started to notice, like, it impacted my moods, it impacted my weight, those kinds of things. And I was told really that I had no other options. You know, I'm not responsible enough to be in control of my own fertility. Um, and you know, this is just the easiest option. Do you think that that's because doctors don't know any better? Or do you think it's because, you know, like are doctors not aware of the side effects or the negative impacts on women's bodies? Um, or do you think that, you know, the, the more pessimistic view might be, do you think that they don't really care? Or do you think that it's a financial incentive? What do you think's going on there? Holly, do you want to jump in? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a debate that we, we've had between ourselves <laughs> for the last few years, actually. Um, because I think, yes, there's an element of paternalism. Um, like you said, uh, providers not you know healthcare providers not thinking that younger women are or any women are responsible um or able to deal with all alternatives or make decisions for themselves or understand their fertility um and there's also obviously a lot of medical misogyny and i don't think that's gone away particularly quickly although there have been some developments in terms of how women are included in like scientific research and things in recent years um so there have been some changes there but there's definitely layers of that going on for sure um and i think also like a lot of them think kind of almost in some sort of arrogance that they're doing some sort of harm reduction as well um like it's like well it's more important to make sure that women are on a highly effective method of preventing pregnancy, which is why we've seen the shift so much from the pill to long acting methods like IUDs and implants and things in recent years. Um, it's much more important. That's the priority. Um, and then, uh, then to worry about side effects, which is very secondary to the provider, even if it's very primary to their patient, the woman sat in front of them, they kind of make that risk benefit analysis for you. Um, and I think, um, Megan, I remember when my book came out and it was in 2013, I think you wrote this in maybe 2013, 14, you wrote a piece about um, uh, that was like a response talking about uh, how you were kind of baffled that other women seem so invested in what other women did for contraception and especially you talked about like the way that we get judgment on uh, people saying they use the pull-out method um, mm -hmm. and I thought that kind of plays into it like it's not just healthcare providers that seem to be invested in young women especially or teenagers or at-risk groups using certain kinds of birth control like we've just seen with what's happened with Roe v Wade like the overarching me message coming out was often get an IUD now right mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and so the messaging is very judgmental very much putting the pressure on women very much disempowering um you know that this the, the or even just reframing uh getting an iud as empowering even though it's like once you you know you've chosen to get it you have the 
least control over that contraceptive method, um, even in comparison to the pill where you could stop taking it if you wanted to. So I think I've always found it very interesting that like those doctors function within a society, wider society that feels like they have a say um, over what women choose to do and generally, you know, have pretty poor opinions of what women are able to to do in terms of their fertility and contraception um which i just think it's i just did an interview recently where someone you know properly called themselves a feminist and very intelligent um smart person had you know what was essentially saying oh well we all know that women can't practice fertility awareness it's like do we i don't know we haven't we haven't told them about it so you know that's like it's it's an interesting setup that we come mm-hmm. from that place for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's super disempowering and and it the approach is is that young women especially but women as a whole are too irresponsible to take care of this on their own and to you know be aware enough of their own fertility and their own cycles to be in control of their own reproduction, reproductive capacity. Um, but there's also the the reality that women aren't educated. You know, women don't understand their cycles. Why do you mm-hmm. think that there is such a heavy focus on solutions like hormonal birth control over actually teaching women about their cycles and and how they might prevent pregnancy on their own without any of these interventions i'm not sure if um abby do you want to respond to that or holly would you want to respond to that abby you can try (laughs) yeah no i mean i think look what what we've kind of observed and just sort of like to tag on to to your last question right is that there's a certain amount of paternalism, of course, right, in the the medical, you know, in, in that dynamic. And what we've seen is even in places where the majority of OBGYNs are now women, right, it's still, um, you know, I would say they are still, you know, foot soldiers in this way of this kind of patriarchal approach. Um, to medicine with women not being able to regulate or, you know, make their own decisions over their reproductive health. And I think that for the most part, you know, we have such abhorrent sex education in this country. I mean, we, I was doing a podcast with somebody last week and she was like, I am not kidding you. I am 43 years old. And I just decided, you know, with my husband, we want to have children. And this is the first time in my entire life that I actually understood <laughs> that we can't just get pregnant every day. I mean, literally, you know, this is this is like the level of education that that we're dealing with among educated people, right? Um, it, it's just absolutely abhorrent. And so I think there's kind of this combination of, you know, women not having the education, not feeling empowered. It was really the same kind of issue that we were looking at in the business of being born. It was really the same thing with childbirth, right? It was like women being essentially 
like pushed out of their own instincts in how to birth, right? Like something super intuitive, like when there's something big coming out of you, um, you would squat. <laughs> that is like naturally, you know, the position that your body might want to take. But no, you know, what medicine has showed us is that you should be flat on your back on a table with your legs in the air. Um, like literally the most counterintuitive position in the world for pushing anything out of your body, right? So there's kind of like these instincts and knowledge um, and wisdom that gets steamrolled and gets erased, right? By technology, by developing, you know, faster and, and smarter ways of, you know, controlling our fertility and controlling our bodies through biotech. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly hard now, right? It's incredibly hard for anyone. I mean, I've heard it over and over and over again. If they push back at all, like you're saying, on a, on a physician or even in a Planned Parenthood clinic and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just using condoms and that's really working. And or I, I'm doing some, I mean, they really get, you know, seriously, well, okay, you're going to end up pregnant. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll be pregnant. I mean, literally, like that's what they're told. Um, they're really scared out of it and thinking that their body is this like runaway machine. Um, so I think, you know, on the one hand, it's like the pill and these, these other hormonal birth controls have become, as we talk about in the movie, so much more than contraception. I mean, you're talking about 35% to 50% of women who are, on these drugs are not on them for contraception. They are on them for period problems, for endometriosis, for PCOS, for other women's health issues that we have no research on and no clue how to fix, right? Right, so yeah. And, and that's that, like a big piece of it. Yeah, and that's the other thing about this is that women aren't just on the pill um, to, to avoid getting pregnant. Um, no, they're prescribed the pill for all sorts of other reasons, you know, like often when I've said, you know, I, I say pretty regularly nowadays, like the pill isn't good for women. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, people, women will respond and say, well, how do you know the pill's not good for women? The pill's good for me, which I think they're misunderstanding what I'm saying. So I'm, I try to explain what I mean, but women will respond and say, like, I have to be on the pill because I have endometriosis, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. And, I mean, can you talk more about that end of things? You know, why would a woman be prescribed a pill, the pill for reasons beyond preventing pregnancy? And is that really her best option? I think, um, well, endometriosis is a good example because it, that comes down to a fundamental lack of understanding or a lot of healthcare that uh, providers, they just don't know what endometriosis is or how it happens or what is needed to treat it or 
So that is uh, the option that they give uh, because they assume it's just about the, the best option is to shut down the cycle. So, you know, when it's convenient, uh, we talk about what the pill really does, right? Which is when we're talking about things like PCOS and endometriosis and stuff, they're basically just saying, well, we're going to treat the symptoms and the symptoms we believe, whether even in this case of PCOS, it's not actually a complete Finnish science to say that um, there are other uh, root causes of that issue as well. It's the best thing to do is just to stop the menstrual cycle. And that, like I've written about in my book and, you know, that the other experts talk about in the film, it's really just goes back and back into history to the fact that, you know, the the fact that women have a menstrual cycle is seen as like a fault and a lack because men don't so it's kind of seen as something that like why wouldn't you get rid of it because it's the cause of all problems for women um and instead of actually looking at well what are the mechanisms that are causing symptoms of pcos is it pcos what are the mechanisms that cause endometriosis does taking the pill treat endometriosis for a lot of people no um for some people uh, some types of hormonal birth control might treat symptoms um but yeah it's just kind of a blanket uh, prescription uh, it's easy um, I think it's been around for a long time so any medication that is around for a long time is considered like safe um, and it has the added benefit of preventing pregnancy which uh, you know a lot of uh, healthcare providers will see as a you know, great like bonus um, and uh, yeah so it's just like the, the first thing in their arsenal really that they go to um, and uh, to look at it, um, which, you know, is interesting because, you know, you see more and more in, in healthcare now, like, oh, high blood pressure or pre-diabetes and things being treated with, like, talking about lifestyle changes and diet changes and things like that. Um, there's a lot more preventative care discussions, but there isn't that in women's health. And um, the pill has, I think, really prevented the development of like real treatments and real treatment protocols um, just by existing and just by being so popular a prescription um, that we just that they think well why research this when we have something that we can turn to already that's um, relatively inexpensive and easy. Is there any good reason to take the pill you know are there any um I don't know, any any reasons that a woman might take the pill and that that might actually help her from mm. a health perspective? Yeah, and I have a sister who has endometriosis and um, she tried lots of different things that were suggested to deal with the extreme pain, um, heavy bleeding, and she landed on the hormonal IUD Um and that has helped her and um, you know she's aware that there are side effects she's aware of things that may she may have experienced as side effects but the cost benefit analysis for her means that the benefit's huge um, she can have um, two weeks of her a month of her life back um, and the cost is is less for her to worry about than having to deal with that and that's the you know maybe there were other options that were there for her available for her maybe she didn't have the time or inclination or access 
Um, or maybe she did explore some of them and they didn't work for her, but that's what she chose in the end. So, mm. yeah, I mean, my perspective has always been like pretty, um, you know, you, it should all we should have all these options available to us because regardless of like whether it's a medical condition or maybe you just not in a situation where you can think about uh, not being on hormonal birth control right now, uh, which is also a lot of people like these, all these things should be accessible um, because there are a lot of circumstances in which you may decide for yourself that like the risks that you're aware of and the way that it works that you're aware of. And that's my thing is that people should be aware of that like informed mm -hmm. consent it um, is is worth it yeah and i think also you know you have to look at a couple different social constructs here i mean you know now we've got states that have literally banned abortion so you know if your anxiety level <laughs> uh you know over possibly right having to like go out of state and like locate an abortion you know, versus putting yourself on, you know, some kind of a, an IUD or, you know, I, I think that it's all for us, it's always been about informed consent and making choices that are right for your lifestyle at that moment, but with the informed consent that goes with it. And I think, you know, one piece of the puzzle that doesn't get talked about in a lot or enough, but, you know, I was listening to, um, your previous podcast, Megan, with Louise Perry, and I've been sort of fascinated, you know, by her book, Against the Sexual Revolution, and listening to her about this backlash against hookup culture. And I think that's something that we really need to look at as well with the pill in terms of, you know, is it not only like physically good for you, but what does that mean, right? to shift the responsibility for contraception 100% onto one partner, one gender, right? And this whole idea of like, wear a condom, wear a condom, and condoms protect against you know, STDs. And I mean, it all just goes out the window. And you know, if you ask any college student today, they will tell you that you know, these guys are not wearing condoms and there is an expectation for these girls to just take care of it, yeah. you know, and take care of pregnancy prevention. So, I mean, I think, and I, and I say like in my entire sexual life, the only time I ever got an STD was when I was on the pill because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is a, this is one of the side benefits here, right? Mm -hmm. I can just like, you know, have a one night stand and like not worry about it too much. Um, so I think on that level, you have to look that it's also potentially hazardous and, and dangerous for women because uh, you know we have a huge issue around sexual dynamics and consent and you know this this doesn't help i think yeah i mean i i remember having men say to me I assumed you were on the pill and I'm like, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say not that long ago. Like this was not only when I was 19 years old. <laughs> like this was when yeah. I was like a full adult woman dealing with a full adult man yeah. who 
I mean, that's a very immature thing for a man to say. Like, I was like, I don't respect you anymore. Um, There's no way I would ever be in a relationship with you. But, like, (laughs) I mean, it's not – it's like women are ignorant of their own bodies and reproductive cycles, but men don't don't know anything. They know nothing. And they need to know, too, because they're the ones who are also (laughs) responsible for impregnating women. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and we talk about that like in the movie and a, a lot generally is the idea that men are fertile every day for much of their lives and could impregnate multiple women a day, mm-hmm. whereas women just have this six-day fertile window for every cycle in which uh, they could get pregnant and then they're pregnant for nine months um, and then they could potentially get pregnant again a few months after that, but the reality of it is like it's with the responsibility is not uh, equally distributed um, mm-hmm. and the assumption for sure is that you would be on the pill I went to a well I did a class for some teenagers at a school here in LA a few years ago and um, they were telling me like you can't advocate for teenage boys to use condoms because they if you're on the pill that's just as far as they're concerned that's the only thing to be concerned about is that you can't get pregnant Mm -hmm. um and so it really like I I saw I saw that they were in a worse position perhaps than some teenagers in the past because Mm -hmm. it was so normal for their parents to have them go on the pill and they didn't have any kind of like uh, maneuver room to be able to say like no I could get pregnant and so you have to use a condom and that conversation can change dynamics and change situations for young women. Um, but I was writing about this, you know, in my book and talking about the idea of sexual availability. And um, the problem is, is when you talk about this stuff, which I'm sure you, I didn't listen to the podcast yet. I will do what uh, you talked about with the author of the case against the sexual revolution is that uh, you're just set up as being anti-sex, <laughs> right and like people just think well you mustn't have sex or you mustn't like sex um if you don't want to be on the pill because the pill equals having lots of sex which is which is like a hangover from when we were 16 right and if your friend was on the pill you were like oh they're really grown up they must be having lots of sex with their boyfriend right Mm -hmm. and it's like well actually that's a really weird way to see things when we know like yeah culturally even if it's not admitted it by all the authorities that the, the pill reduces libido and sexual desire and sexual thoughts and decreases orgasms and all these things that it does uh, which totally makes sense because ovulation is geared evolutionary to like give you all this boost to want to have sex like yeah. uh, you know and you're not experiencing that so you're missing out on that um, and so that completely like shifts the whole situation and shifts the whole dynamic. And we just think, well, no, the pill equals like having more sex. Um, so we sort of that that whole conversation doesn't happen and women lose out again, of course. Yeah, that that drives me crazy also. And and before I knew that it was true that the pill reduced sex drive and libido I experienced that and went off the pill <laughs> you know the last <laughs> time that I was ever on the pill um was when I was 
I think I was around 27 and I hadn't been on the pill for quite a long time at that point. Um, you know, since I was probably around like 20 or something like that. Um, maybe even 19. And it was because I had gotten accidentally pregnant and miscarried. I had, I had planned to go, um, have an abortion, but I miscarried before my appointment. And my doctor told me, well, you got to go on the pill. That's your only choice now. Like, you know, you're clearly irresponsible. <laughs> and mm. I was resistant. I was like, I've been on the pill. I didn't like it. I don't, don't like how it makes me feel. And he's like, well, you have to. He's like, try this one, try this one, try this one. So I went on, I don't remember the name of the the medication, but I went on the patch and almost immediately started having really negative side effects it had a huge impact on my moods i felt like a crazy person i put on weight um and it had an impact on my sex sexual libido my sex drive um and then you know i i started looking into it more deeply at that point and discovered that this was a thing that happens <laughs> yeah it was real it wasn't just me <laughs> but you can tell I mean if you pay attention to your body and you know yourself you'll notice these things but in any case I mean again people are in such denial about these things when I've talked about that specific aspect you know you're going on the pill purportedly so you can have liberated sex with your partner and not worry about it but then it has this impact of n making you not want to have sex so what's the point and people will say oh well that wasn't my experience you know my girlfriend still wants to have sex with me <laughs> she's on the pill i just i mean i wonder what what have been your experiences talking about this you know what have people said to you how have people reacted to you when you have these conversations about about the pill abby maybe you can start well i mean part of it is it's challenging because like this medication is almost you know it's not personalized okay and like everybody's hormonal profile is so incredibly unique right and so there are some people that will say it didn't affect their libido right like there are people that will say oh actually i felt more sexual because i had that sort of fear of getting pregnant taken off the table and i felt more relaxed and so i actually felt more open to sex right so it, it's very hard you, to make these kind of generalizations, you know, to say everybody feels depression or everybody puts on weight. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I would say like 90% of the people I speak to and like the people we interviewed for the movie report those side effects, right? Decreased sex drive, like weight gain or issues, um, and mood issues or just not feeling like themselves in some way, right? But it, it's hard because you get a lot of pushback when you don't have a double-blind placebo-controlled study to back up what you're saying, you know? And so, like, I had a little, like, roundabout with a journalist a couple weeks ago because she said, oh, you know, some of what you're saying in the film is really controversial. And I was like, what is controversial? I mean, everyone in that movie is like an MD, a PhD, a naturopath, you know, 
it's like we're not like you know taking these kind of like snake oil salesmen off the street and putting them in a movie and the part that she found controversial was the part about how going on the pill can change who you're naturally attracted to sexually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay and like not only do we know so many women that have reported this anecdotally and not by the way only straight women also lesbian women because a lot of lesbian couples have to go on the pill one partner goes on the pill before they can do IVF so we've even heard it reported you know among women like which women they're attracted to changes you know when they go on the pill that they're not attracted to their partner anymore and yet you know the studies are out there um I can't say they're like gold level stuff. I mean, you know, I don't know how you rank scientific studies, but there are studies out there, you know, they're not sponsored by drug companies. They're not big expensive studies, but they're studies. But, you know, this journalist kind of claimed to me, well, one of those studies had 18 people. And, you know, you can't really say there are studies. So, you know what I'm saying? It, it sort of swings both ways when you have these conversations because on the one hand, you feel like you're reporting something from your personal experience, from like thousands of other women's personal experience. You have, you know, some data, some studies to, to back it up in some way. But, you know, the fact that as we we're talking about, nothing is ever really studied when it comes to women's health, unless there's a profit at the end of the rainbow, unless there's a drug that's going to be developed out of this, right? Like, so it's, it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. And so some of these conversations, you know, you find that I feel like we're coming from a place of like good science and reporting. And then, you know, some people will sort of view what we're saying as somehow alternative or even faux science, you know, or kind of trying to push us into the like wellness influencer category. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's, it's challenging. Um, and I do see a big generational divide, like with the movie. I think that like, you know, from millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, 100%, they understand this movie. They understand the shortcomings of the contraceptive options available to us. But the older feminists, you know, are still kind of taken back by this point of view in this movie. And they feel very protective, you know, of the fight for birth control and the fight to protect access. And we're kind of saying, yeah, but we can have both. You know, we can have access to all these different types of birth control. And we can also have education, informed consent, and access and development of like non-hormonal birth control, you know, and, and other choices here. Right. I mean, people tend to approach it, this conversation in a super binary way. Um, and we'll say, you know, it's not, it's not like we're trying to ban the pill. I, like you say, I want women to have as many options as possible, but I want them to have truly informed choice. And I don't think that's what they have right now. No, and I think the issue with this and like so many other things that, you know, you've 
you've written about in your career, Megan, is that like people view critiquing like a cultural issue as an indictment of their own personal choices, Mm -hmm. which is not what it is. It's just where we're at. We're so individualistic that often you'll say, well, you know, this is what we're talking about with the pill. And then the reaction is very much like, um, oh, but like I, I took the pill. Like, and it was fine for me, or what about all the women it helps? And, you know, <laughs> we, we always like to pit ourselves against each other. Like, that's what the argument is about. And it's not um, about your individual choice, um, as, you know, every, a lot of people involved in making the movie have taken hormonal birth control at some point, um, for one thing. Um, but, yeah, I think the interesting thing is, like, the, the pushback is often more coming from like an ideological place than it comes from the reality because I think it's kind of silly for women to between themselves to like, I kind of don't have a lot of time for someone saying to me that this isn't true. It's like, no, come on. You know that the, mm-hmm. there's side effects and it affects mood and women have depression and lower libido and you know, it's hard, can be hard to come off it. Like, I just feel like it's just a, a sort of weird level of denial at this point and that if you have a real issue, like it's coming from an ideological place or a political place um, more than anything, then it's really like them really saying that what, what, we're laying out in the film or we're talking about the side effects is like false it's not you can't really argue that yeah i think it's often for feminists an attachment to you know decades old feminist mantras um and fights around choice and what was understood to constitute you know liberation for women a sexual liberation for women and the pill being very much attached to that and the suggestion that the pill might not be so good for women um i think for some for some feminists it's as though we're telling them to move backwards like get back in the kitchen um (laughs) get back (laughs) in the home you should be barefoot and pregnant in the home what do you know about the I'm not sure exactly how to say this, but, you know, the discovery of the pill, the introduction of the pill, um, you know, what what was the process there around pharmaceutical companies developing the pill into a form of, of birth control for women? Well, um the in the early days they weren't sure it was going to be a birth control for women it was women or men um and both were tested on um on unconsenting groups uh from like uh mental health facilities and very other various other places where they could get um guinea pigs to do that and um at that time and then they discovered that the pill shrunk the testicles of the men and because that was like an obvious outward thing that men would experience and see and obviously was related to like masculinity and concepts of masculinity they thought well that's not going to work so they decided to just continue with the women and then in the film um it was documented more of the history from that point onwards where uh, women in puerto rico were tested 
uh, on uh, again without full consent um, and uh, some of them died during the process of early trials uh, and that was how they came to decide oh this could be taken every day um, and it would prevent pregnancy and prevent ovulation uh, it has a very like kind of dark and sordid and definitely racist history um, in terms of where it came from but yeah that it was you know the, the, the person we hear about is Margaret Sanger whose idea was to uh, create a pill to prevent uh, women who she in, in impoverished circumstances for the most part from having multiple children um, against their will essentially and she thought she was doing something very like upright moral um, important um, cause uh, and part of that was that um, at the time, eugenics uh, thinking was very popular. And so she used that to appeal to potential funders. And maybe, you know, we would say, I'm saying at the time, I'm not saying. Those similar groups of class of people probably still feel quite similarly. I mean, what was what was Elon Musk only the other day saying that a population crash was going to be a bigger issue than global warming and having needs to go and have 10 more children. So, you know, all this stuff is still continuing now. The rich people get to have lots of children. The poor people shouldn't have children. Um and so, yeah, so that's that it kind of came out this really like unpleasant soup of ideas and um, actions. Mm -hmm. um, do you have you found um, in your work in this area that when there are negative studies or negative testimonials, um, that those are suppressed in any way? Abby, maybe you oh. can speak to this. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. I mean, that's that's how they do business. I mean, that is literally the, the order of business. I mean, you know, we talk about it a bit in the movie, but you can see, like, for example, we show that when the very popular blockbuster birth control product, Yaz, came out, um, you know, Yaz, Yasmin, there's a slew of generic names for it, um, Axella, you know, there's, there's millions of names of the generics, but I think, um, you know, when that pill came out, they absolutely, absolutely cherry-picked data and, you know, sent in reports to the FDA which really covered up the fact that this pill presented a much higher risk of a blood clot or a stroke, you know, than the previous progestins, the previous generation of pills. And, you know, they essentially weren't caught um, until women started dying and having strokes and blood clots. And then, you know, that really led to an FDA review of the safety of the, these ingredients. And ultimately, you know, what we show in the film is that still, even after unearthing all of this evidence that they had kind of suppressed or skipped over, the drug was still kept on the market, partly because um, a lot of the panel 
that was voting on whether the drug stays on the market actually had connections to Bayer, to the drug company that they hadn't disclosed, you know? So it was just like a rigged game from the beginning. And we even have in the movie, the former head of the FDA who wrote a special report just on this issue, just on the issue of, um, you know, the Yaz drugs and the increased risk of blood clots. And, you know, his report was suppressed. It wasn't given to the panel. Um, it was omitted on a technicality. And, and he says in the movie, like, if I had seen all this documentation, I would never have approved the drug to begin with. It's, it's you know, it's dangerous. You're marketing something to women, telling them it's going to clear up their skin and improve their mood and cure their PMS, which was all bullshit. And then on top of that, you're putting them on a more dangerous and more expensive drug. So, you know, I mean, I'm pretty cynical making this movie. And I think that everybody now, especially after the opiate epidemic was exposed mm -hmm. and exposed in such a gruesome, grotesque way. I mean, it is unthinkable, right? the greed that drove um, these people to push this drug, lie about this drug, incentivize doctors for selling this drug. I mean, how many lives they've destroyed and people that they've killed, you know, unleashing these opiates onto the market. Like now that that's kind of been exposed, like nobody should be surprised anymore. Why would you think that's not happening with birth control? Of course it's happening. You know, it's the same marketing tactics. It's the same way they fund their own studies, you know? And then it's interesting because like when a study is done, like there's a study we reference in the movie, which was done in Denmark, which followed a million women and tracked the correlation between mood disorders, depression, anxiety with pill use, okay? It was a very thorough study. I mean, they tracked a million women's pill prescriptions and then followed up to see which of those women were then put on an antidepressant. And then ultimately they did another study, even checking which of those women had tried to commit suicide. So they even made a suicide correlation. Okay. That study, which was like so well done and independent and not connected to any drug companies, you should see how quick right, the American media and American physicians, how quickly they tried to dismiss that study. Oh, but it, it doesn't prove a causation. You know, it doesn't really prove anything. And, you know, they just, all these tactics that they had to try to discredit the study because it threatens business. And I think that, um, you know, I, I feel very, strongly like i feel this about every drug that my parents tell me they're gonna take or they're you know doctors i'm like wait a minute what is it <laughs> i gotta research it i gotta do my due diligence like i don't trust anymore you know i really don't trust i think it's a big game um of profits over people and as we show in the movie with birth control they're okay they're okay with hundreds of women dying and having strokes and blood clots, they're okay. And they will pay those families off. And that is already factored into the cost of doing business. And their stock goes up. 
even after these these young women in the movie, you know, die. Yeah. So it's, it's really it's dark. Yeah. It's <laughs> really what I disgusting. Find the, yeah. the another layer of it is like in this country, there's so much sort of threats to access. Like right now, the idea that what if they ban, try and ban Plan B in some states? What if they try and ban IEDs? What if they try mm-hmm. it? You know, and there's so many threats to access that it really is a way to like not only prevent this conversation happening because we have to focus on that, but also to encourage kind of evangelical level um passion for hormonal birth control Mm -hmm. because there's this sense that you kind of have to be super positive about it in order to not provide any kind of gap or weakness or ammunition for access to be taken away when it seems so possible especially at this point um and uh that really like mutes the conversation especially around things like abby was describing like the Yasmin story should be should have been a huge story and should have been taken up by feminists as a cause and an issue um, and uh, something that we should have seen more like you know prominent thinkers and writers be talking about um, in this space and they didn't I think it's interesting because with the threats to access it always makes me think well you know the Republicans are the ones that take I mean the Republicans and the Democrats both take money from pharmaceutical companies a lot of money Uh, but Republicans take more money and I think the only person that doesn't take money is Bernie Sanders so (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, you know that you have to wonder like what's the what's the what's the puppet show here like mm-hmm. that we're threatening access while they continue to make take money from pharmaceutical companies that produce uh, the pill that makes them a lot of money because you're selling a drug to over 50% of the population to take for decades of their lives right like this isn't a short-term drug this isn't something you start taking when you're 65 you take it from you could take it from when you're 13 right through to menopause um, and many women do it's a real money spinner um Mm. so they're threatening access while at the same time taking the money from those companies that make money off selling it so it's really messed up but it just means that we don't in the end it just keeps the conversation really small and contained um, Mm. and so we don't hear about or talk about the things that we were just saying yeah and i mean the the conversation's been politicized for the benefit of these parties not for the benefit of women i think um i'm i'm gonna let you two go soon i've kept you on the phone for a long time here but i mean holly what have you noticed that's changed since you wrote sweetening the pill versus creating um this this film the business of birth control do you feel like the conversation has gotten more productive easier to have have you found that people are more um knowledgeable about these topics women in particular or 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 not really um yeah i would say that the number of people talking about it in publicly um is has grown massively i mean there were people talking about it when i was writing my blog but you know they were not as loud and harder to find part of that is to do with social media creating a platform 
where people can share information and um, connect with each other in ways that when I was writing my blog, it was all forums. Um, so that didn't happen so much. Uh, so, yeah, I think in terms of like there being a more of a like mass group effort towards making these, uh, this information more widely available and providing um, service and like support to women outside of the regular healthcare system that isn't helping them, um, giving them alternative um, opportunities to like learn about fertility awareness or learn about how to tackle PCOS symptoms. That's all definitely the whole scaffolding and structure of that has been built since I, you know, in the past decade, um, uh, for sure, um, and been, become accessible. Uh, but I still think that there is a lot of like gatekeeping um, in terms of like how and who can talk about this and in what way. Um, and, um, you know, essentially it comes down to, I think it's okay, more so now you may see an article every month or so, or a think piece every couple of months that talks about like the side effects of the pill the unequal share of responsibility for contraception um but doesn't want to really look at like well what is the benefit of the menstrual cycle um what what does it mean to have unmedicated experience of your menstrual cycle like not wanting to look at that side of it so much because um i think that's still like there's still a lot of people have a lot of personal um, issues and trauma around it, but also just culturally, it's still difficult for people to get beyond uh, the idea of like, oh, well, yes, we can talk about having a period, but we don't talk about like female biology and its importance and difference um, and things like that so much. So I think that stops that going a little wider. So I think we definitely there's more conversation um and you know i've talked about this in terms of like talking about periods like there's more conversation around periods but what we're saying is often still quite negative um and uh, doesn't like to frame female biology in a positive way which i find interesting because while the money part of this is huge, uh, I think there's also this, like, which I've been arguing forever, this dependency on the idea of, like, the us seeing uh, female bodies as less than. Um, and that's kind of important for a lot of reasons in the how we structure our society, that we internalise that and accept that. Mm -hmm. Which is a huge note to end on, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a really huge conversation. Um, there's a lot of different facets facets to it. Um, uh, how can people watch the film, Abby? Well, um, for the U.S. and Canada, it's super easy because we are self distributing the movie. So you can just go to thebusinessofbirthcontrol.com, and you can stream the movie. Um, and we'll also give you like a 50% off code, Megan, so that you can like share that with all your listeners whenever you post, you know, the podcast. Great. Um, yeah. So definitely people can get like a 50% off on the, on the rental who are listening, but yeah, that's, um, that's the way to see it. And so, yeah, we, we have it on Vimeo.com and we have it on our website, the business of birth control.com.
Um, and right now it's, it's mainly just available in the US and Canada. Um, and we are in the process of premiering the movie around the world. So we're just having our European premiere in the fall. Um, surprise, surprise, it's having a very different reception <laughs> overseas. You know, they are much more open to talking about this and they're, you know, not bogged down by the archaic political and religious ideology that we have to deal with in the U.S. Um, so it'll be interesting, but I think, you know, the film has already been bought by many countries and is going to have a very different kind of life abroad. Yeah. Interesting. But that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you both for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for your work on this. I think this is such an important issue and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you guys are trying to educate uh people about this thanks so thank you. much megan thank you for having us okay until next time all right bye take bye. care bye. bye i'm megan murphy thanks for tuning in to feminist current you can watch the business of birth control at the business of dot life slash biz of films and you can get 50% off your rental using the code FEMINISTCURRENT in all caps. Feminist Current is valid for all screening options of both the business of birth control and the business of being born. You can also get 50% off the business of birth control masterclass using the same coupon code FEMINISTCURRENT, all caps. Follow the business of birth control on Instagram at business of birth control and on twitter at the biz of films you can find us feminist current online at feministcurrent.com tweet at us at feminist current or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com we are hosted by libsyn and you can subscribe to the feminist current podcast anywhere you like to listen itunes google podcasts Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, Megan Murphy. We have been ad-free, sponsorship-free, wealthy investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoyed this podcast and value independent women's media by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit FeministCurrent.com and click the donate button.